Hello and welcome to Coast to Coast FC, the new Canadian soccer podcast focused on all things CPL, Canadian Championship, and more. My name is Felipe Vallejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And on this podcast, myself and Mike are going to dive into match week six of the Canadian Premier League and go into some of the facts, stats, and moments about each game. And at the very end, we'll pick our highlight of the week for that week's match day and then go into a little bit of Canadian Championship preview for the upcoming semifinals. Make sure to follow us on our Twitter at Coast to Coast FC and on Spotify and Google Podcasts so you know exactly when we upload. So without further delay, let's get straight into our first feature match of match day six, which was Forge against Vancouver FC. Now, usually a feature match usually has some action and stuff like that, but it kind of felt like we went back to the early days of the season CPL in a sort of nil-nil draw. It wasn't great for the neutrals, uh, but there was plenty of action going on in the match. It just didn't result in a goal. Um Mike, what were your initial thoughts on this game from both Forge kind of not being able to take advantage of it and Vancouver and the way they bounced back after the humbling they had last week? Yeah, it was really important, wasn't it, for Vancouver to be a bit more, uh, well, a lot more organised. And it certainly showed uh, in this one. I thought they, uh, we commented on last week, uh, obviously Kane uh, kind of came into the centre of defence. But this week, they uh, for this game, they put um, Bacare, Ivima Bacare moved into right back. Uh, Minjay Kwok into uh, right back and they seem to be they seem to focus on just trying to make themselves a bit more resilient um, Forge found some opportunities um, but when you look at sort of they created the chances they had 70% possession 18 shots but only three of which are on target and I think that really tells the story of the game for Forge uh, from this one yeah, and just even looking at it, it felt like it was going to be another classic Forge performance where they kind of slowly but assuredly start to steamroll the other team and and create those chances and score those goals. But I don't know. It felt like for this one, I mean, they heavily rotated, right? We saw a lot of new faces that we don't usually see starting in the lineup. They rested people like uh, Becker, Borges, right? And it felt like maybe there was a, a little bit of missing link in the in that team where it just didn't connect as well as well as we usually see it and yeah i mean i think no one is going to come away with that from that match just fr- more frustrated than jordan hamilton because uh we saw i i i, I sent it to you like a tweet from benedict, benedict Rhodes uh that forge had an xg of 1.96 with 1.22 of that XG from Jordan Hamilton alone. Compare that to Vancouver, who had only an XG of not 0.54. That goes to show just like how much was going through Jordan Hamilton, and he just couldn't finish. And there were some blinders from him. There was oh, just so many chances for him to put it away, and it, and it just felt like it wasn't his day. What did you think about uh, his performance and, and just Forge just not being there at the very end to to finish their chances. Yeah, they've they've found so much joy with um, Vancouver being really narrow and like um, trying to congest the middle. Mandrakar James and players like that would just be able to ping long, sort of long high balls out to the wings. 
a fullback would then rush out to try and close them down. They beat them and get the chance to bring a pullback in or cross the ball into the back post. Uh, they had so many different ways of getting the ball in, and Hamilton was there to receive all of it. The, the Vancouver defence at times were still reacting too quickly and not being as organised as maybe they would have hoped. Um and some good movement, obviously, from um, from Hamilton. But yeah, it's just you you saw so often. I mean, um, Persia's got it started in that second minute with a ball across low across the um, box and just got the ball caught under his feet as he went to finish. And then uh, Hamilton, the header well saved at the near post, um, shooting over, shooting wide, just not really, just not really connecting well throughout the whole game, and it just seemed. The more this went on for um, Forge and especially Hamilton, the more frustrated he got, the less composure that was there. And it was just more desperation to get that goal rather than it was that sort of composed and it will come sort of belief that Forge usually have. Yeah. And I think that perhaps it might have been a case of maybe they weren't fully there mentally. It, it very much felt like some players, even though they were starting when usually they might be on the bench, I think everyone sort of maybe had one eye on the Wednesday game against Montreal. Obviously, it's a big game, a chance for revenge for them. And that might have caused them to maybe not fully be focused on the task at hand. And that's where they kind of missed those chances. But uh, like you said, uh, Forge were having so much joy on the wings. And for the first 15, 20 minutes, it felt like uh, Vancouver were going to completely capitulate like they did last week, <clears throat> especially from the from the wingbacks in Tyler Crawford and Minjay Kwok. First, yeah, 15, 20 minutes, it just felt like they were skinned constantly. But credit to them, they sort of grew back into the match. They started to defend better and and play more as a unit with Pele Martinez and Bakare. Uh, actu- actually, after the match, I asked Kwok about it, and he said that, yeah, the first 15 minutes were rough, but... Bakare and Martinez helped me sort of settle down and, and get into the game. And, and that's what allowed me to to have the performance that he did in the second half. So it's nice to see a team, such a young team, being able to, in the same match, sort of recover, compose themselves and be um, be in the game more and, and be able to be properly defending. Um, but yeah, I think overall Vancouver will be very happy to come away with that, um, with just a single point. One player I did want to mention as well is Elliot Simmons, because I think a lot of players, people don't necessarily see Elliot Simmons. He's one of those like system players that just kind of keeps the ball moving and he doesn't do anything flashy to stand out. But I think he had a fantastic game in that one. What did you think about his performance for Vancouver FC in the middle of the pitch? Yeah, they they have to get so composed in front and so organised with this sort of midfield three in front of the two centre-backs. They're trying to block anything come through the middle and it needs someone to dictate everything that happens and he's controlling the the, the positions they're building when when they're stepping out and when they're pre- like and making sure there isn't those gaps that are appearing between the defence and midfield, which Forge will will uh, take advantage of all day if they get them. So he's not just his actual play and his ability on the ball um, and his ability to break up play, but his organisation and sort of linking the defence and the midfield to work together. Really, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I think that really is, I think he's so important in that 
in that way, especially with Rocco Romeo missing again um, for his last last game of suspension. Yeah, I always think that there are players like that. The the saying comes to mind that like if you watch the game, you don't see him, but if you watch <laughs> him, you see the whole game. That's the kind yeah. of player that I think Elliot Simmons and is, and uh, yeah, he's so integral to the Vancouver side. Um, but you know, there's not a lot to talk about in terms of moments in this game, but there was one moment which Forge actually got the ball into the back of the net, but then it was brought back because of offside. I mean, for you, what did you think of this moment in the 54th minute? Rama trying to go for the overhead kick. What do you think <laughs> yeah, about it? Um... It was a strange one, so even the commentator thought that he connected and scored this, won the goal. Um, but yeah, it was offside. Uh, I think it was Sissoko running in, who actually got the ball just off his foot, who was on an in and onside position. And it was one of those, I mean, like you said before, uh, as we started talking about this, there was the rotations. It didn't seem like everyone was on the same page. Um, and they were just starting to try and force things, I think. And they weren't, they weren't really as composed as as they could be. And I think they were getting frustrated by Vancouver's sort of low block and, you know, four defenders and three central midfielders there to try and break through over and over again. And just a little bit of, un, uh, maybe maybe the excitement got to Rama's head as well, maybe, as that ball went over the top. Yeah, I could definitely see he saw his name in the headlights uh, <laughs> with that effort, just pure acrobatic it would have been a wonder goal, but unfortunately it did not count. Um, <laughs> but moving forward, I mean, uh, Forge have a tough match against Montreal on Wednesday. We're going to talk a little bit about it uh, later on in this episode. What do you think needs to happen for Forge to kind of get back on track, especially against the Montreal side that is in kind of tipsy-topsy form in the MLS, but it's still an MLS side? What do you think they need to do to be able to get that revenge and go to that final? Um, well, we talked, um, obviously, we talked with Anthony Novak last week, um, last week, and he said how after that TSS defeat, they just forgot about it and moved on. Let's just get on with what we're doing. And I think this, though it's not a defeat, maybe it might feel like it to forge. Again, for especially for the strikers, it's just, yeah, that one wasn't our day. Let's just forget about that and get back to our sort of normal routine of playing. Because um, they they've definitely got the quality to challenge uh, Montreal, as we'll talk about later. But they just need to realize, yeah, this one's just one of those that, yeah, let's just forget and move on. I think I'm not sure. Is there? I mean, are you taking more from it? Maybe. No, I think it it is a a case of just like it was just a bad day at the office. But you know, maybe it's one of those things of like Forge is always so strong mentally that mm. you never really know like if they have one bad day how it will truly affect them because you know for a team like them you would think oh they would just put it away and then they would keep going and, and play the next match like if the previous match never happened but because their standards are so high and you saw mm. how frustrated they were i don't really know if that might affect them on wednesday against montreal i hope not because i would love to see another upset and the cpl <laughs> team go through um but yeah, we'll see whether it affects them or not. And for Vancouver, I mean, they've shown, bar the Ottawa game, they've shown that they are defensively one of the strongest teams, at least in terms of the way that they organize and the way that they are uh, disciplined for the most part. 
but it just it feels like attacking wise are still lacking a bit there is that connection but since Gabby Bittar uh, went off injured I think Mm -hmm. he is going to come back next week what do you think Vancouver has to do to balance out this sort of defensive focus to try to get that attacking input or output rather attacking output to uh to match the other teams that are scoring three, four goals a game. Yeah, I mean, we're still, like, they're still learning as an expansion side, like amongst each other. Um, they started off trying to be so resolutely defensive and not really threatening going forward. Um, then they had the setback last week with Ottawa where the defence just uh, fell to pieces. So this one was another one where it's like, okay, it seems like they have to, they're working on either side of the ball each week. And it's, they're still not quite sure how to connect it all together unless the ideal 11 are out there. I mean, they did manage nine shots. I think most of those came in the first half, but none on target. They're all shots from out wide. Hundle got a good good chance with a header in the box, but uh, went wide. So they didn't see a lot of the ball uh, in this one, which they weren't going to, I think. <laughs> it was well well known what you what you're going to get when you go to forge especially so i think this one was a case of just yeah let's work on the defense again get our confidence back there and then we'll start to see next week how they start to try and work the ball forward and try and be a bit more threatening once again yeah yeah you're right i think it's a it's a young team that's still learning still needs trying to find its feet uh in the league and Hopefully, we once Gabby Vitar comes back, we can see them start to find a bit more form in that uh, in the attacking half. But moving on to our second game, uh, which was Halifax against York United, this was the probably the most surprising result. Definitely one that went against the script. Everyone was thinking that this was the perfect opportunity for Halifax to get their first win of the season, and it went everywhere but there as York United beat Halifax Wanderers in Halifax 3-0. to zero. There were goals by, from Matthew Baldissimo in the 11th minute with an, a beautiful long-range effort. Uh, Usama Alou, who had a fantastic performance, scored in 31st with a stunning curling effort. Uh, and then Mohamed Sumaru in the 46th minute, just one minute after halftime, Probably scored the easiest goal of his entire career, and that just York just dominated that game. It seemed not even necessarily in possession because if you look at the possession stats, Halifax had more of the ball, Halifax had more passes completed, crosses completed. But I just felt like York were more incisive and they took their chances. While you know, Halifax, I, I saw, looked at the stats. Because I was pretty sure that I don't remember them having a shot in the first half. They only had one shot, not even on target, one shot in the first half. Mike, what were your thoughts on uh, in this surprising matchup and, and result from these two teams? Yeah, I remember watching the game and I, I was overhearing the um, commentator mention that I, I believe York got there a, quite a few days early and they just got went there, they got themselves settled. And they've just been working as a group resiliently. They've got out, got away from home. They've, they've, they've been together. And it really showed. They look like a real group who said, right, we're together. We know what we're doing. And we're going to do this for each other. Um, which I think in some of these other games prior, York have got so much else going on that's been they're chopping and changing. New players playing alongside other players each week as injuries happen. And they got the chance to really, it seemed to 
get themselves settled for this for this game for probably the first time this season, I think, for this team. So um, it really did show and Baldissimo and uh, Sumaro in the middle just dominated the game. Halifax really, really missed um, Caligari in the middle. Um, and York just just set themselves up to be dangerous. They were consistently solid to get, uh, working together as a unit. Um, and it just it was just made them made themselves incredibly difficult to um, play against. Uh, it was a really really impressive performance. Yeah, and I mean it's it's kind of hard to really pick out who stood out the most out of York because so many of the players stepped up. You mentioned there Valdisimo and Sumaro both got goals and w- worked really hard to get the goals. They deserve to get those goals. Another player that didn't get a goal but was superb was Paris G. Again, being forced to play out of position, always difficult. But he just, no matter where you play him, he always works hard. He always is concentrated, a task at hand. It feels like he's York's most consistent player, regardless of really their performance. You can always say, well, at least Paris G played well. And it feels like they kind of need that, you know, a player like no matter what happens, no matter like how turbulent your form is, they can still rely on him performing. Um, and uh, I mean, in the attack, again, no Mo Babuli, but it felt like this time some players stepped up to, uh, you know, take over that kind of creative charge, that spark that's needed in the attack especially Alu and Richie. What did you think about their performances for York United? Yeah, those two were really good. Um, what, what what I found York to do, like you mentioned, they didn't have the majority of the possession. It was Halifax, but so often Baldissimo or Samaru um, win the ball and it's immediately just played forward. Not, not a, a, like a crazy long ball or um, they're not carrying the ball out and doing anything particularly exciting on the ball but they've got Alu and Ricci who are doing in, like doing great bits of movement to create space for each other as well as themselves and they were just moving the um, Halifax defence around all over the place so when they were trying to defend in transition they were just they were just leaving holes um, which which um, York were able to um, capitalise on throughout this game. Yeah and you usually see Halifax I mean, they're a team that we just haven't seen them be able to consistently perform across 90 minutes. They either start well and then they fade or then uh, they don't start well and then they they come into the game towards the end. It felt like in this one, they just they just couldn't start well or end well. It really felt like no, there was no point in the game where you really said, oh, Halifax are now starting to bring it towards York. It just felt like a cross... Across the 90, they were a bit lost. And I mean, it, it's it's sort of encapsulated with the third goal. I mean, it was a minute into the second half and York just tore through. I mean, Halifax and their defensive transitions were all over how like how how they got so much freedom inside 60 seconds of the second half is just mind boggling. Uh, and, and I think you're right. It's. Caligari is so much more important to this HF, uh, this Halifax side than I think people realize because he is that pace setter. He's the one that organizes the midfield, helps, you know, cover and shield the defense. And without him, Halifax just looked sixes and sevens at the back and in the midfield. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess Halifax had a few players, I mean, sort of perform well. We had uh, Farron come back in and and 
and it just felt like you know he started to play a bit better as well and Aiden Daniels started both of them were trying to create chances but Halifax couldn't take advantage of them Farron had that huge miss in yeah. that second half he was one on one and instead of you know scoring it to his teammate for the tap and he tried to go for himself and it clashed against the crossbar and went out and I think that just summed up Halifax's day did you think that there were any, you know, performances from Halifax that to write home about uh, from maybe players like Aiden Daniels or Massimo Farron? Um, no, but mostly because we've seen them be so threatening before. And this time it was just little bits of flashes. And I'm I've, I've, like you say, we, we, you've just spoken there about Caligari being like the pace setter for this. I think they missed that and they need... Uh, each of these attacking players, Patrice Geyser has said he's he's got this attacking philosophy. It's the only way he wants to play. It's the only way he knows to play. Like he wants to go out and score goals, but it's not happening. Um, and they, there's there's something that they're creating good opportunities around the box, but they're not able to find sometimes that final pass. They they it's, there just seems to be something that's a little bit off. And I think sometimes this maybe this concern about how they were doing defensively in transition put a little bit of worry in the attack and it slowed down what some of these uh, forwards might do. Ferrin and Daniels, Fernandez, some of the more risky play or moves that they would make where they'll fully commit themselves. Maybe that was starting to play on their minds how if the ball gets lost, we we are playing really badly in defensive transitions. I think I think that's really, really had did affect them. Yeah, definitely. You could sort of tell, even just looking at their faces, that they were frustrated, they were anxious, and it sort of felt like maybe some players like Daniels and Farron felt like it was up to them to try to go and change the game and 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 be that difference, and it wasn't really panning out for them. And, I mean, you know, Patrice Geyser, we always want somebody like Patrice Geyser to succeed, coming from League yeah. One Ontario. He's bringing his attractive football, like we said, from the very start. It's very fluid. It's very entertaining, attractive, attacking-minded. But football, as as much as it can be a beautiful game, it's also a results-driven business. Yeah. And HFX have not won at all this season. I think they're up to 16 games without a win across both seasons. Yeah. And... <laughs> You know, Patrice Geyser, he has five draws and one defeat. Do you think like that he's starting to feel the pressure a bit? Or do you think that he still has, you know, some credit in his pocket because of the style of play they're playing? What do you think is what what do you think is gonna happen with Halifax if these results don't start going their way sooner rather than later? Yeah, it's a it's a funny one because like you say, this is their first defeat of the season, so it's not like um like it's not like they've they've struggled um to be in games this is the first time this has really happened for them in the in the uh, cpl um and they just struggled to they were creating opportunities out wide to try and create these overloads that they like to try and do but york just sat so um so well uh as as a group in the center of the pitch that Colom just couldn't get on the ball like he couldn't find opportunities they didn't have Caligari, who could be a threat in the middle, and that allowed York to to be that way. So it, he's got that to fall back on. It's just the first time they've lost. They can go and bounce back. They can try and bounce back, and they can get Caligari back in, especially for um, for the next one. But his entire philosophy is based on attacking football, and to to be struggling this much um, 
to get uh, to get goals in. They, they're the, the second lowest scorers in the league. So five goals from six games. That's that's going to be playing on his mind, and I think that's going to be building up a bit of pressure. Uh, maybe not by the. I mean, still early days. He may not have pressure from the uh, uh, from the club, but I think for himself, he, he this is not what he's expecting from what he wants to bring to this team, and he's going to have a bit of pressure on himself to try and fix some of these things that aren't quite working for it for his team and aren't quite being as fluid um in the in the final sort of that final ball and that sort of taking advantage of mistakes and things like that i think more on him at the moment uh, i don't think don't think otherwise is uh, too much pressure right now yeah that is true i mean like it like you said it's always hard because w- with a team that keeps drawing it's always two sides of a, co- a coin, right? You're like, well, at least they're not losing, but at the same yeah. time, like, but they're not winning, right? So it's kind of hard to really judge where they stand. And it sort of depends on maybe whether you're a glass half empty, glass half full kind of person. <laughs> um, but it, it is a thing where like Halifax, they need to just, at this point, I mean, I've said it before a couple of times on the podcast it's becoming a mental thing. It's just becoming a mental block of when are we going to get that first win? You know, with so with such a big turnover, you expect this fresh slate and a new opportunity for Halifax, but they're still sort of not being able to get across that finish line and get that win. And and it's starting to play on, on, on the minds of all of these young players and even the experienced players. And so, yeah, I think Patrice Geyser is going to have a lot of pressure for himself on himself to try to turn this around and just finally get that victory that Halifax has been wanting. But on the side of York, I mean, this is a fantastic result for York after a, a bit of a, a, a bad spell, I guess you could say, of, of conceding a lot of goals uh, to some really, really good teams like Pacific and Vancouver Whitecaps. How important was this result for them? And what do you think, How, or rather, how do you think they're going to try to continue this form now that they've bounced back and gotten a huge result like this? Yeah, it's going to be a. It was a strange one because obviously this one was the second, the first game on Saturday, the second game of the week. So jumped them all the way up to third <laughs> at that point before the final two games. So York, obviously, they each team is so close to each other. Their season can sort of all of a sudden you can build such great confidence and momentum from just one result at the moment that really does change where you perceive yourself in the table. Um, they're hosting Cavalry next, um, who themselves. Uh, got their first win. Obviously, we'll go into their game um, uh, a bit later. But they're, for York, it's such a strange one because the games that they can go into, you really could see it going either way. They can build up this momentum and they're doing great, but they're playing another team who are doing quite well, who have a more consistent group um, that they can call upon, who have in, like who maybe are stronger on paper. York missing Mobabuli can... Can Richie and Alu continue to be as threatening and as creative in the final? There's just so many questions about them, isn't there? I don't know. When you look at York, do you just think, oh, this is good? Maybe not. Oh, this, yeah, it just goes backwards and forwards. Yeah, you're right. It's it's sort of like more questions and answers with York <laughs> United right now. And it's one thing that is clear is consistency. That's what they need to try to find. And mm. consistency, unless your name is pretty much Forge FC, consistency is so hard to come by in this league because like you said the teams are so close together now you know ever since you know not no disrespect to fc edmonton but ever since the eddies sort of 
folded. It feels like every team can compete with every team now. And um, it, it, you never really know what's going to happen. And, you know, moving on to our third game, it, it sort of is epitomized with that when you see Valor go against Pacific Pacific, who are in high flying form right now against a Valor side that is similar to York in a bit where they're trying to find a bit of consistency but mm. uh, in this one, you saw that it ended up in a draw. It was a 1-1 draw. Uh, goals from Sean Young for Pacific in the 49th minute. And for Valor, they equalized in the 69th minute in the second half through Pacific Nyongabire. Um, this was another very entertaining match. Not, you know, I think last weekend where we were spoiled with so many goals that we were expecting it to continue throughout this um throughout the, at least the next few weeks but i mean in, in this match it was still pretty entertaining i felt like pass uh, uh pacific and valor both showed in different halves what they are made of what did you think about this match mike what do you think about this draw between valor and pacific I, it really highlights um how pacific have continued to build and try and create a squad similar to what forge have and they're trying to reach those limits where they can make such big changes new um basket came into uh came in in goal ahead of um emil gazdov two young center backs um so they completely changed and rested them Dedic and uh they they got this opportunity to to give um uh so who was at the back there it was um Lejeunesse and um, Paul Amadoume getting his first start um, this season. Um, they could rotate everyone. Uh, Brazil came in, so uh, Josh Hurd got a rest. Um, Dada Luque came on later on in this game, and Bradley v- uh, Vliet got the chance to get a full 90. So there's this huge rotation, but they still look uh, a very dangerous side. And this, this 11 that um, started the game really did show that they could compete at the top level um in cpl um valor themselves have their own issues which were like jordan haynes having to come uh, was meant to be on the bench starts because of an injury in the warm-up um there's also Marke, um ruled out then haynes gets the injury like you yeah, you mentioned to me uh, the messages during the game which is they can't get a break at the moment um there's just oh, it's so much turnover at the back there but I think their forward line maybe um, will be a little bit frustrated. I mean, maybe uh, Anthony Novak, especially when you're coming up against these two young, very inexperienced defenders, that they couldn't they couldn't test them enough in the box. A lot of these chances will come from younger Beardre running in and attacking the uh, attacking the play. Like the, the crosses weren't as threatening as they could be. Um, so I think Fowler maybe looking at it will be a little bit disappointed not to get a little bit more out of the game from what they saw on paper. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, Pacific came in with such a rotated lineup and it might have been the case that, you know, Valor weren't necessarily prepared. I'm sure they could have guessed that they were going to rotate a little bit because obviously they had a huge game against the Whitecaps, but maybe the the personnel that they chose wasn't what they were prepared for. And so maybe that's why it was a bit difficult for them to try to uh, get more into that game. But, you know, I think you're right where I don't think you're going to have an easier Pacific side to face than this one because of how much that they rotated. But even still Pacific sort of surprised me 
in that they still played well. And I think you're right. They're trying to reach those levels where no matter who they play, sort of like how Forges, they can still get results, even if it's not the starters that you know. But I mean, if you if you look at Valor, it just it's such bad luck. It's mm. it's like you feel like they can't get like worse luck, and then <laughs> it just becomes worse. And it, it just now, what are they gonna do? Like, who are they gonna look towards? What League One team are <laughs> they going to raid to try to get some center backs? I mean, if I was a a League One defender, I would be like getting trying to call Valor and be like, I'm available. (laughs) I know you have like seven center backs on your injury list right now. You can sign me up. I mean, we've seen how Platicella has just seamlessly stepped up to the CPL. You know, Mm -hmm. somebody who was in the CPL with Forge and had to drop back down into into, uh, the kind of... I mean, League One Ontario is a good league. But mm. it, it, it's not the level that he probably wanted to be. And then he gets this opportunity to come back up and he shows his stuff. And now he's a, a for sure starter in the team. I think even with when a bunch of these center backs come back, it'll be hard for them to get their place back, at least on, on Clyde Cello side, because he's played so well. But yeah, it just such bad luck. But um, for Pacific, I mean, they still had uh, a couple of players still there that, you know, can still dazzle you. I mean, Amon Salouf is, is a player that might be one of my favorite players to just watch. Just like you mm-hmm. just watch him every time he gets the ball. It just he's one of those players that you never know. He always has that little bit of magic that he can turn on, especially as a one v one winger. It just is incredible to watch him play. And I think his performance and Sean Young's performance for Pacific. I mean, Sean Young came in with the captain's armband, which is huge. And he played uh, like his performance was that worthy of a captain. I think he played superbly. What did you think about these two players, Amon Salouf and Sean Young's performance? Yeah, Amon Salouf's great to watch. You just see him pick up the ball and he's, um, it's almost like a cartoon character. As a player goes to take the ball off him, he just shuffles to the side as if, as if he was already there, it's that quick, and he almost leaves leaves some dust behind him. <laughs> but he he can move the ball in different directions, cut inside, dangerous, um, dangerous um, from outside the box, can deliver across as well, can shoot. So he's he's got so many different sort of different uh, weapons that he brings that make him um, really hard to deal with um, for for a fullback, and he can move around the pitch really well, pick up new, like, different places. Uh, he can run onto the ball. He can receive defeat. He can slow play down, speed it up. He's really, really fun to watch and really adds to that. And, yeah, the quality that they've got in that front line. And you mentioned Sean Young as well, like getting the goal, leading the team. Um, him, Toussaint and Yates in the middle of that pitch, Two of them will play the full 90 probably against um, uh, Vancouver this week. So the energy levels these guys have got and the connection they've got in the middle, you can play two very young, very inexperienced centre-backs behind them and a very inexperienced goalkeeper and still know that they've got that protection. But the forward line also knows they've got that ability to get up and they've got and can support them as well. It's they've got the whole package uh, in that in that midfield. Um, and Sean Young's one of those the top performers in that. Yeah, and like you said, their 
going to play against the Whitecaps, and mm. still they gave a performance like that. I mean, they are engines in this team. Yeah. Like we, I mentioned before, Sean Young is one of those pure athletes that you could. I think you said that like after the game's done, he could go again and play another ninety immediately yeah. afterwards. <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's incredible to see the kind of energy and dynamism from a young midfielder like that. And we might see very, very special things from Sean Young. Um, but uh, on Valor's side, I mean, another player that was very, very good for them, especially in the second half, was uh, Nyong'a Bire. I think, you know, he got that goal, a very well-taken goal. Um, he was, I mean, Valor's biggest threat, really, down that right and even cutting in through the middle I think Pacific will be a, a bit disappointed with the with the goal that they conceded. It's just a very straightforward, over the top ball, uh, across you know or overhead of the two young center backs, and it was pretty easy for Nyungabiri to put that one away. Um, but still, the the way that he's grown into this league, I mean, coming from the A League to this league, not many people watch the A League, so they didn't really know what to expect from Pacific, but. I think everyone has their eyes on Pacific Nyungabira because he's just one of those players that he can turn on a dime and and just turn it up to to eleven and change a game on his head. And I think he he's somebody that Valor have to uh, really find a way to consistently get him to play at that level and help him out because he can be one of the league's best performers. Um, but uh, there is a one moment as well, aside from the goals, that I think we have to talk about. I know I would love to hear your thoughts about it because this was, I mean, I was almost yelling at my screen uh, because <laughs> of this moment. It was a penalty shout for Pacific. Uh, it was in the second half. It was a cross. I, I forget who was crossing it in, but it was basically a cross, and the defender, like, you could argue that he was just like trying to move and, and his arm wasn't trying to block it, but it very clearly hit his hand and it ch- changed mm. the course of the cross. And, and it was uh, like ready to, to be tapped in at the back post had it not been for the hand ball. And it was just ridiculous that neither the ref or the assistant referee who was right there yeah. saw it, <laughs> called it, discussed it, nothing play went on nothing what were your thoughts on that ridiculous call yeah like you say that it's we, we mentioned this the other week with um uh Halifax giving up a penalty when the linesman's looking across the line the defender it hits him in the face and he calls a free kick this is the um calls a penalty this is complete opposite the linesman is looking down the line he can see what's happening in front of him the guy um the defender who I believe it could have been um could have been cella i'm not sure um his hand is is out it, it is away from his body um and the ball strikes it right in line of where the lines was looking down the assistant referee is looking along the line to check for any um offside so it is the referee's not perfectly placed to be able to see it on the pitch he's sort of behind um behind the defender so it may be difficult for him but he's got that assistant referee for a reason and he should be seeing it he should be calling it I mean it was whipped in um by uh Dada Luke who came on in the second half and I mean he's a fullback that plays as a winger more often than not with the way Pacific have the ball uh it was uh, and they had brought on Eastern Ongaro there they're throwing in that cross to be able to try and try and um get someone on the end of it and to not to not see it again is just another 
it's just another reason to be complaining about a lack of VAR and complaining about the the quality of the officiating because yeah, we're not expecting perfection. Referees, assistant referees can make mistakes, but when there's something right in your face, it gets quite frustrating to weakly see these these things being missed or misinterpreted. Yeah. I mean, I know, again, I feel like we're turning into broken records about VAR, <laughs> but I mean, if it keeps happening, we have to keep talking about it, you know, it just, especially with blatant calls like this, you're right in that uh, referees can't be, you know, we can't expect them to be perfect. They are human, but there are certain things where it's sort of like unforgivable to miss mm. that. It's such a blatant handball that clearly is away from the bodies interfering with the play it basically yeah. stopped a, a, a like a wonderful chance to score for Pacific. And yeah, the referee and assistant referee didn't do anything. And I think VAR yeah. has to come in. And I'm sure there will be growing pains once VAR comes in, as there has yeah. been in the majority of leagues. But I mean, I feel like yeah. I would take that over some of the things that we have been seeing in the in these few first weeks of uh of the cpl season this season but i mean i guess uh valor will be thanking their lucky stars that yeah. uh, it didn't get called because uh it would certainly have been harsh on them and their performance uh had the a penalty been called and provided that they would have scored to be 2-1 down because yeah they 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 performed well enough to get the points or even a win like you said i mean i think when a, I, I, they also had a brilliant chance to uh, score a goal uh, where uh, Gutierrez, the rock in the midfield, had a per- like, oh, I thought that was in. It was, it looked like a perfect strike, just smash off the bar. And I think it would have been perfect for him to get that goal because he's been so, so solid in the midfield for Valor. I think he's been a, a superb player for them, but. I think, yeah, Pacific will probably be the happier of the two with the results uh, to get a point each. What do you think Pacific uh, will now do in the in the next few weeks? Because they have um, that midweek game against the Vancouver Whitecaps where they're going to try to emulate the miracle that happened at Starlight uh, yeah. a, a, a couple of years ago. and But they still have to manage that with another CPL game next week. What do you what do you think you're going to see from Pacific in the next two games in such short succession? Yeah, like they've got uh, Halifax coming the sort of the, the width of the country <laughs> to uh, to to join them next Saturday. So it's, they've got a wounded team coming who are going to want to work hard and move the ball, and they're going to need they're, they're going to need a lot of energy, and they're coming up against an MLS side in the in the midweek. So it's going to be. It's going to be hard hard work for them, but the the thing that this uh, that we mentioned, obviously mentioned prior, um, just about how they're building a, a squad um, as deeply competitive to compete with Forge and to say we are we we can rotate, we can move these players around, we can bring new players in. La Junesse and uh, Amadume will feel take a lot of confidence from this, and um, James Merriman will know he can bring those players in whenever necessary. The midfield have got great energy. Janaria Daniels got the start in this one. He's it a real handful, nearly got a goal, hit the bar. Ongaro came in. He's got Adonijah Reed as well, who provides something else. They've got so much depth. And it's your highlight. Pierre Lamoth has been the only player who's really been out injured, and he's come on in this game. He's got, James Irwin has an entire squad to choose from. There's no, no injury concerns. 
there's no worry about drop off now for um for players coming in he knows he can he's, he can trust them he knows that they've got quality to bring and i think that's that that must prove to be so so um <laughs> gives you so much peace of mind as a coach to know right okay let's make sure we can we can we can go into any game and know i can make these changes and we can be a very competitive side and we can go and aim for three points every match yeah, I'm, I'm, I, Pacific are, I mean, right now on current form, they're definitely the team that is most likely to challenge Ford for that title. Yeah. It's actually incredible. If you, if you look at the table right now, the the gap between Pacific and second and Cavalry and third is three points, which is the exact same gap between Cavalry and third and Halifax and eighth. Which is just like how tight this table is, where even like a point or three points just massively changes where you're sitting in the early stages. And it's great to see. I mean, it, it, like even with Valor, right? I mean, Valor have one win, four draws, one loss, but they're sitting fourth because of um, those draws. And, you know, those single points will add up and they matter towards the end of the season. But, for Valor, Mike, what do you think that they need to do to try to sort of like in the same thing with Halifax a bit and, and Calvary finally did it to try to stop drawing so much and and getting that second win of the season for them? Yeah, I think a lot of it's, like we, we mentioned at the beginning, it's so much bad luck in defence. They're not, they're not able to um, to have players who are, regular players at centre-back or <laughs> they're bringing in new players who are new to this group or they're moving someone in from a different position to play there just to cover um, and it makes it hard to hold on to these chances uh, hold on to leads it makes it hard to um, set out into games where they can be confident on keeping possession going forward without worrying about sort of dealing with transitional um, attacks from the opposition so I, I think a lot of it's going to come down to that because they do so well in areas going forward. Nyungabere, like we mentioned, um, like you you were speaking to, how about how good he is on the ball, how good he is creating um, chances. But what's so great about him is he can cut inside. He can go down the wing. He seems so strong that he's fighting players for the ball. So it's not like he's this like this wide player. He's very lightweight and can get nudged off the ball. He will fight with the defenders to make sure that he's going to come mm-hmm. out on top. So having that is really important. Um, they've got a player in, in Novak who will be in the box. He'll be there ready if any opportunities come in. I like Kean Williams. I really like having him. I like him in the middle more than on the wing because he's very much a player who will continually cut inside. If we can, if they can get him inside and maybe get another winger who can do some, not to the level of Nyonga Bire, but has that option of going wide as well as central to mix up what uh, what they bring. Maybe that could create a few more chances. I'm not sure, but um, the midfield looks great. Gutierrez, as we mentioned, consistently like a top central midfielder performer in the league. Um, so they've got the pieces there. It's just really just connecting them all together at times and getting a regular defense which sadly is, is 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 not in their control these injuries this isn't something that they're just playing players who are underperforming this is constant rotation of players due to injury yeah it is it is such bad luck and you can't help but feel bad for them 
because you know you you obviously you look at the results and they haven't won one since they beat York United uh 2-0 like over a month ago now on April 16th and that was right before their defeat against Rovers and so you can kind of see that from that Rovers yeah. defeat they haven't really bounced back and on one side you can view it that way but the other side I mean you can't ignore the injury woes that they've been having just consistently and it feels like Finally, when some of these players start to get back and they can have, like you said, a consistent defense, maybe there we can finally judge what Valor can truly do, what they're truly capable of. Because in attack, I mean, with Nyongabire and in the midfield with Gutierrez, they have players that are playing consistently well, uh, but their defense is just, like you said, it's out of their control. So hopefully we can sort of see how they bounce back when they um, go to Vancouver FC next week. Um, but, uh, now we're going to move on to our fourth and final game, uh, which is cavalry against Ottawa. This was the last game on the Sunday. I unfortunately missed this game because I was, uh, my, uh, mother-in-law had their birthday. Uh, so I spent the day with my, uh, partner helping them out, uh, get prepare dinner for their mother-in-law. Um, but, uh, I did see the highlights and even just from the highlights and looking at the stats, I mean, I I could I could see how much cavalry dominated Ottawa in this match. I mean, uh the final score was 2-0 cavalry. Uh the goals were scored by uh Camargo in the 22nd minute and Klomp uh in the 67th minute, so a goal on either side of half and it just felt like cavalry could have had more really. Uh it was just a complete emphatic victory over Ottawa and yeah what were your thoughts on this because you know when looking at the stats Ottawa had 36 percent possession from a Spanish-centered side with this kind of Spanish philosophy of keeping possession to have only 36 percent possession to me is criminal from Atletico Ottawa but maybe that showed how dominating cavalry were in that game so what did you think about this game and the performances from both teams yeah we commented they're saying there about atletico 36 percent. i think uh, just looking here they're two, 266 passes all game and i feel like 250 of them were probably in their own defensive third they would try and try and build out um and there's i mean there's got to be some credit to cavalry obviously for forcing them into these sort of deep deep zones but there was no way out um, for Atletico. Um, Singh was doing well carrying the ball out. He beat a player, move up into the midfield and then turn back and have to look because Salter was up there on his own. Wide players were deep. The, the wing backs were sitting very, very close to the defenders so often when they're trying to build out from like a goal kick or something like that. that there just wasn't the option. Oli Bassett's dropping deep along with Acosta regularly throughout the game. This was what we saw such a different team against Vancouver where Bassett and Asi were being so dangerous in that final third and they were controlling that controlling that side of the pitch, breaking forward, being dangerous. And you just didn't see it from um, Atletico at all. Throughout the entire game, they were they just were running out of options. They were trying to play out, but there weren't the there weren't there wasn't the movement in front of them to be able to play out a pass that would break a line. Uh, it was just move it across, up and down, maybe get a ball into midfield, back into the defender, across to one side, across to the other, 
try and long ball up the top. Salter's got two defenders around him. Cavalry regain possession and attack. It, and that happens so frequently. And it's really, it, it must be really hard to watch for an Ottawa fan at the moment when they see they see what they're trying to do, but there doesn't seem to be a link up. They can get the ball out. They can pass it around a little bit, but it's not threatening. And when they try to get the ball forward, they're smothered and they can't do anything with it. And credit to Cavalry, but a lot, but again, I'm, I'm worried about this Ottawa side, how they're trying to be able to be a counter-attacking or a hit-you-on-the-break kind of team when they just don't know how to get the numbers from one end of the pitch to the other. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I feel like for Ottawa, it you can tell how the game is going to go almost exclusively based on how deep Ollie Bassett is dropping. Because if you feel like he has to drop all the way to the like the center line, you know that this is going to be a tough game for Ottawa because he's the one that needs to be up there creating. And if he feels like he can't get any space there, and like you said, it, 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 Sam Salter was so isolated up top that it felt like he was an ocean away from the rest of his team. It just, when if he tries to drop that deep and there's nothing really happening in the attacking third, unless he can find a break, find some space, it's going to be a long day for Ottawa. And yeah, just polar opposite from from that Vancouver side. And again, it's it's a, a case of consistency. But, you know, credit to Cavalry. They came out, set up a bit different. I mean, they set up with three center backs. They, they had... You know, Ali Musi and Camargo, uh, you know, playing off Bevan. And it felt like that that helped them out more, at least looking at the lineup and looking at some of the highlights. What did you think of Cavalry's just performance overall against this floundering Ottawa side? The uh, the changes you mentioned there with getting Musi um, and Camargo playing off of Bevan, made, it just made them more dangerous going forward without losing the defensive stability they've always had. There's two central um, two central midfielders, uh, Daly especially, were fantastic in dealing with any transitional breaks that Atletico Ottawa may sort of threaten to make at times. But Moussi and Camargo, playing around Bevan, they're able to pick these spaces. Uh, I think you mentioned uh, last week how Moussi at times was drifting out wide and then just wasn't in the game and they weren't able to find him. He was forced, he was playing as a wide, wide player and he was sticking to that wing. And there were long periods of the game where he just wasn't able to affect it. And he wasn't, they weren't, Cavalry weren't able to find him. This gave him and Camargo the chance to go and find the spaces to get on the ball. Um, Frazier Ed and Escalante as the, as the wing backs were brilliant. I thought they, they provide a great balance of defensive stability as well as sort of attacking input where they're able to whip in crosses well they're able to work well in sort of build up so just I think this the way that they got themselves organized uh, and the way that they really pinpointed the fact that how Ottawa were going to play and how they were going to try and build out from the back they they just they just dealt with it they saw the weaknesses and they um and they capitalized on it and they that it was just a really well organized game plan really well executed by them i felt yeah and and you said like you said there they they were so well organized defensively i think that sort of 343 formation helped them so much with that that ottawa like halifax 
uh, only had one shot in the entire first half again. This time, at least it wasn't targets, but it, <laughs> it, Ottawa had nothing going forward, really. And that's and that's because of the way that Calvary set up. And I think one thing about, and just even just based on the highlights that I saw that was a stark change to some of the other games that I've seen with Cavalry is that Camargo was way, felt like he was way more involved. He was way more dynamic. Uh, he was more threatening coming in uh, from that middle, like position that he likes to roam around into. And I felt like he was way more dangerous and that's how he, he missed that, that incredible chance and then yeah. made up for it afterwards uh, with his goal. And yeah, I just feel like when he turns up, he's such a key player as that number 10, it, the, the cavalry turns up and i think that uh yeah he, he was so crucial and like you said escalante and aired i mean fraser aired he he showed why he deserves in my opinion to be that starting right back he yeah. was so so good on that wing and because he provided so much attacking option on the wing it allowed ali musi to tuck in more and i think that's where he plays better uh, as sort mm-hmm. of like that inside forward. And so I think, yeah, Tommy did set up a team wonderfully. It all worked. And and that's why we saw such a dominating performance. Um, another thing, you know, we talk about moments where we need VAR. This was another case, I think, because Cavalry could have made, I could have had three goals if it wasn't for a disallowed goal on, uh, I think it was Escalante. Um Apparently, Meyer Bevan was sort of screening the keeper as as you know the cross came in in Escalante. It was a wonderful finish, a very well taken volley finish. I don't really know if that's the right call. It felt like Bevan, yeah, he was sort of in the area of the goalkeeper. But for me, I think when I see that rule, is that the keeper can't see anything. Like he's being completely screened. And it didn't seem like Bevan was all that much in the way uh, of of the keeper. And to to have that ruled off, I mean, especially since it wasn't right away. You saw Escalante and the team go and celebrate and everything. And then confused faces come back and then they call it back. It, it's something where I feel like if VR was there, they could check it and then um, and see all maybe you know, at least give an opportunity to have a second look and to kind of explain it better. Um, what were your thoughts on, on, on that moment and and what it could have brought to the game had it not been uh, ruled off? Yeah, I want to like give them, give the refereeing team a little bit of credit because we said how poor it's been at times. But actually making that decision and communicating with each other, which we didn't see the week before when the cavalry penalty was given uh, against uh, um, against Halifax they just made this decision and went on at least they went and spoke about it and they seem to um it's going to be difficult like you say without VAR they can't go back and look at the get look at exactly where Bevan was I mean if he's in the goal technically he's off the pitch so I guess it would have counted but the fact he stepped on in the speed like the um the um the Ottawa goalie wasn't particularly off his line uh, he was still quite close to his goal, so in the speed of all that happening, maybe you, what you, it's difficult to tell from the from the angles where you're going to be watching from the side, as well as where the goalkeeper uh, referee was to tell exactly how close he is to the goalkeeper and how much he's veering. But they they've had that decision, they've uh, discussion, and they've come to a decision which are kind of I like 
the idea that they are doing that and they're working well and they're making sure they're trying to make the right decisions. So, I mean, it's a really tough one for um, Cavalry, but if, if Bevan's on the pitch and he is, if the goalie notices he's right there next to him, I, find, I can't remember the top of my head exactly where uh, where he was standing, but if a goalie feels he's right near him, then I I guess he is in, he, he is in um, interfering to a degree with knowing where the goalie can dive to, where the goalie can move. So, I mean, possibly that's why it was done. Um, but yeah, so th- I think that's... We've bashed good referees for making very clear, obvious mistakes. That one was a little bit of a one where I can understand that it's difficult, more difficult for them to come to a decision and they've had to make the decision based on what they've seen. Yeah, that is true. And I think, yeah, it, it is nice that they can have a discussion and talk about it afterwards. But um, I just think that it would be make it easier for the lives of the referees if they had VAR to consult. Yeah. Because, you know, especially on 50 50s, there's always going to be discussions. But at least you can have say, well, at least, you know, I, I, I went and looked at it as the referee and then, mm-hmm. okay, I doubled down the decision or or I, I was like, I, maybe not, maybe it was a wrong decision, but now I can look at it and, and take it back and give my reasoning. I just feel yeah. like it gives it some extra slack to the referee rather oh, than, maybe. you know, just just have to make a split second decision and own mm-hmm. it and take responsibility for it. Um, so I, get, I think... There's the people who maybe don't like Vala. It makes it too sort of like everything has to be the exact and the argument over whether a toenail's offside and things like that. Some people don't like it, knowing that at least this particular moment gave those sort of football purists the, the idea that, well, the referees are making these decisions. They're coming to their best and it's one that could go either way. But when you're getting the really obvious ones, then it's completely with you. I mean, I'm keen to get VAR into the league. I think it it makes life so much easier for the for the referees and we can come to the right decision um at least they need to we, we need to know that the referees are of a capable quality enough to take advantage of it rather than just rely on it that's yeah that's the thing that's i think always my response to people who don't like var is that i think the technology itself and the strategy itself is sound it's mm. always it's just about how you employ it and it's putting it into practice and it's the people in charge of it that, you know, when you hear complaints about it in the top leagues, even from like the Premier League and stuff like that, it's on the level of the officiating, not on the fault of the actual technology. Exactly. So, you know, that's why you know it, I'm talking about it ideally, but I know that it's going to come in with its own issues and its own problems. And I don't know, whenever it comes out, maybe then I will talk and complain about VR and then flip the switch. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, this is a, a great result for Calvary uh, yeah. against Ottawa. Next week, they face uh, York United, who also got the great result. It's going to be a very interesting match to see what do you think Calvary are going to bring to uh, North York uh, to try to repeat this performance against uh, an inconsistent side. Yeah, well, I think they did really well when, when we talk about bringing Moosey and Camargo into the midfield is it made it really difficult for um, Acosta uh, as that DM because the defenders weren't sure whether to come out and deal with Moosey or Camargo. Acosta was overwhelmed, so it forced Bassett back and things like this. So knowing how well York played as a group um, in the centre of midfield and their defenders, how well they played, even though out of possession, out of position, sorry, uh, for some of them. 
um, having players like Musi and Camargo who can disrupt those areas and those sort of defensive players a lot better. Um, I think we're, we're going to see a cavalry side that are going to start trying to catch up and keep up with the likes of Pacific and Forge. That, yeah. And I think it's going to be a good test to see if they can continue that form and, and try to close that gap. It's not a huge gap, but like I said, no. three points is only the difference between third and eighth. So yeah. you definitely <laughs> want to try to keep that as minimal as you can uh, and see if they can catch up. Well, you know, for Ottawa, going from winning 5 nil to losing 2 nil, but it was an emphatic loss. Yeah. What are they, how do they bounce back from this next week? Uh, how do they kind of try to channel that form that they had against, uh, against Vancouver and, and bring that to the, I mean, they're going, they're hosting the champions, right? They're, they're hosting Forge and Forge might be dealing with a little bit of a hangover from the Canadian championship. So that might work in their favor, but it's still Forge FC. So you never really know. What do you think Ottawa need to do to try to come away from that match with a result? They're so hard to read, aren't they? They 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 can play so badly on the ball, like badly is a bit harsh, but they can be so soft in the attack um, at times. And then, but then they went uh, when they played Forge in the in the uh, Canadian Championship. They looked so strong, and it came out of completely nowhere. I just expected Forge to control the game and Ottawa to struggle to get out of the out out of defence. Um, but they didn't. Um, so it's such a hard team to um, predict uh, and. I think that just raises the frustrations and the pressure around the team and the um, coach because they've got, they've have quality. Uh, we can see they've got quality at times, but they're just not working as a good team defensively to attack and then attack to defense. There's a there's a huge difference between the groups. It's not a, it doesn't feel like a sort of a settled, confident eleven who know their role and their um, their teammates' roles. It seems right, defenders. We know what we need to do. Acosta, I know what I need to do. For wing backs, well, I'm doing this, but do I need to drop back? And so, and it just leaves um, Sam Salter sort of isolated at the top. And if they can push teams back and they can force teams back, then the likes of Asi can become dangerous. Bassett can get out the field, but I, I just don't know when they go into a game. I just have no idea if they're going to be able to do that. <laughs> Yeah, they're they they are that kind of one of those teams like where you have sort of like how York is, where you just have really no idea which Ottawa side or which York side is going to show up today, and and in a in a very in a crucial match against Forge FC. I mean, you gotta show up for that one, or else you you might be at the end of a humbling like the one that they gave uh, to Vancouver. So it's going to be crucial to see uh, how they bounce back from it, but. Uh, uh that's that's it for uh our roundup it's getting a little long the episode so we're gonna try to <laughs> quickly go through our highlights of the week and um some match predictions for the upcoming semifinals of the canadian championship uh i'll start with my own highlight of the week um for me it was just vancouver fc's resilience because especially at the beginning of the match it looked like it could be another just thrashing, but credit mm. to them, especially the wing backs, like I mentioned, they grew into the match. They became more solid defensively. 
yes, Forge missed a lot of chances, but I still feel like Vancouver had a very good showing of themselves defensively and to come away with a point at the home of the champions is always going to be huge. So I think that uh, uh, got be is probably going to be quite proud of the boys for for being able to bounce back so quickly and 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 not have you know have it just capitulate again uh against such a strong team so yeah there i think that's a, a great showing for vancouver and hopefully they can build on to it uh but mike what is your highlight of the week yeah i have to go with the usama lou goal um it is brilliant from York to turn things around after such a difficult time over the last uh, difficult couple of games prior to this. Um, they, it was, it just highlighted some really great parts of the team that have been missing. Um, the dominant midfield winning the ball back, transitioning well in attack, Ricci moving well, like providing sort of different runs that weren't to receive the ball, but drawing defenders out. Um, and Alou's, excuse me, his finish was fantastic, curling ball into the far corner. And it's something that I think we more expected that from Halifax uh, with the way that they want to go and attack the game. And we kind of expect, OK, Halifax are going to do this, these great bits of movement up front and we'll see what see if they can start getting the goals that um, that this enjoyable sort of football um, needs um, to really cap it off. But York went into their into their stadium and just did it themselves um, and really showed Halifax how to do it. Um, so that was um, great for them, uh, great for the team and great for Alou, um, especially so they can't now just keep going back to the, oh, well, they're missing Mobabuli, so there won't be this creative spark now. They need players to step up and they really did in this one. Yeah, and Alou, like I said, he was a player that, he, he he did what he had to do to to fill that hole that Babuli uh sort mm. of created after his injury and uh yeah I think he's a superb player and hopefully we can see more of that moving forward uh but now going to our uh match predictions for the Canadian Championship semifinals on Wednesday the first match is CF Montreal hosting Forge FC that one's at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern at Stad Saputo. Mike, what is your prediction for this match? Um, and I want to say a Forge win, but I think Montreal will. Um, they're in such good form. That, I mean, they haven't yeah, been a little up and down, uh, not getting the results every week, but they had a great run. Um, and they've just got these a good mix of players, and Hernan Lasada seems to be getting what he wants out of this team. And I think they can really hurt um, Forge in different ways. They can allow Forge to have some of the ball and hit them on the break. They could try and dominate possession and try and create opportunities that way. So I'd like to say a Forge win, but I'm going 2-1 Montreal. <laughs> yeah, I think for this one, it was hard not to, to you know, think with my heart and said think with <laughs> my head because of because it, it is Forge. But yeah, I feel like, you know, I got to, I got to back the CPL side and this one at least uh, because I think Forge, you know, they're really growing into themselves. They're starting to become, you know, this dynasty team in the CPL. The players that they have are just so, so good that I feel like even against a team like Monreal, Monreal who lost their last match in the MLS are sort of becoming a bit inconsistent again with the results, even though they had a good patch. I feel like this is probably one of the best 
times to face Montreal for Forge because this is definitely not the same Montreal that they faced last time out where they nearly won. So I went with a 1-1 in regular time going to penalties and Forge getting the revenge in the penalties and going through. But maybe that's just wishful thinking for me. I will admit that. Uh, But moving on to the uh, second matchup, Later in the day, it's at 7 p.m. Pacific and 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern. It's Pacific FC against the Vancouver Whitecaps. Another all-BC uh, derby here at Starlight Stadium. Mike, what are your predictions for this one? Well, I couldn't pick two MLS teams to win, so I've gone with Pacific for a 1-0 tight one. I think it's going to be... Um... Pacific being able to rest those two key centre-backs... Um... To, to have the energy of Sean Young and Toussaint in the middle uh to give Josh Hurd a bit of a break. Um they've got they've they've got a um a good chance to really bother the White Caps who are coming off a good win. Um really good win over Seattle, but they've they they had to play their regular players. They're playing consistently the same players each week almost uh, with very minor changes. Um I think if they leave out a player like Kubas, uh, if they leave out a player like um, Ryan Gould, they they lose something. Berhalt is a decent central midfielder, but he's 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 not the same as Kubas, um, and it will give it will give them the chance, give Pacific the chance to really try and compete and to try and get on the ball and play their style of football. Um, so I think there's the, there's definitely the uh, the opportunity for another upset and being able to do it at home um well yeah it'll be interesting to see but i think I, i'm gonna back them uh, i think they can do it yeah and and for me i mean as much as it would be fantastic to see another upset i just as good as even pacific are at home i still feel like vancouver on on their form the the football that they are playing right now probably some of the best we have seen from the whitecaps in yeah. recent history I think, you know, especially since a lot of the players there, including even the coach Vanny was there though as an assistant to that, uh, to that uh, humbling upset victory from Pacific and that thrilling four, three victory for them. I think they're going to ensure that's not going to happen again. So I'm going for a Vancouver two, one victory though. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if it's uh, even more exciting than that. And it maybe goes all the way to penalties. Um, but uh, last question to you, Mike. What would be your ideal final? Not only the matchup, but what kind of final do you want to see uh, in terms of how it goes? Do you want to go it, to see full drama? Do you want it to go to penalties? Do you want to see one team dominate? What would your ideal final be with the teams that you've chosen? Um, so if it was, yeah, if we did, if we did get a Montreal Pacific, it would be nice to see. Um, nice to be able to see if Pacific could play two MLS sides and consistent games and play their football. Um, just to know that aside, whoever it be, I mean, my ideal fire would obviously be uh, Forge and Pacific, but, uh, <laughs> but if it's going to be, um, if it's going to be one, uh, one uh, Canadian Premier League team getting through to be able to just to prove that the league's got that much closer, there's a huge Huge big difference in budgets uh, and things like that, but just to be able to see a to see a Canadian Premier League side play their own football and compete would be the is, is the ideal for me. Like, well, well how about you? 
No, yeah, I think for me as well. I mean, I think for Jeff C against Whitecaps, if we get that into the final, that is such a tasty final because you have two sides that are, are they like to play with the ball a lot. They like to overload uh, um, through the wings and into the half spaces in the midfield. I mean, both are playing very attractive football and it's it's a matchup we really haven't seen before. And especially on the forums that they are on, it would just be like, it just, I think it's going to be, if it happens, it would be a final that everyone would want to watch eyes glued to this TV screen because you you wouldn't know what would happen. It, it, it could go either way. And that's the beautiful part about cup football and, and, and a cup final. But uh, yeah, that would be ideally for me. Like just, I want a memorable final. If those are the two things. And I think with those two teams, We'll definitely get one. Uh, but that's all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to this a little long podcast episode, <laughs> episode number six. But uh, if you if you made it all the way, thank you so much. Uh, and make sure to follow us once again on our Twitter so that you can give us your thoughts on each of these episodes that we're putting out. And if you have any interesting facts, stats, or questions about us, we can... Uh, talk about it on the show if you have any players or coaches or anyone you want us to try to interview or talk to feel free to let us know we will do our best to try to set something up we are always looking for new podcast guests to to talk to not only players and coaches but maybe some analysts and stuff like that that can go through the games so if you have any ideas please let us know um but until next time i'm felipe Ojejo. and i'm mike rice and this has been coast to coast fc Signing out.